Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, everyone. It's Pacific, and welcome to the final episode of SCP Archives Season 3. Just a few quick reminders. We'll be back with Season 4, which is a 12-episode miniseries this December. And we'll be back with Season 5, which is another 36 episodes of anthology content next March. This special episode was made for ACAST's Audio Fiction Week. You can learn more by heading to acast.com slash audiofictionweek, where you'll find everything from uh, my very own podcast recommendations to advice from podcasters for podcasters, plus a bunch of cool content and bonus episodes made in anniversary of World Audio Drama Day, which is today. To celebrate World Audio Drama Day, we teamed up with Shelby Scott from the podcast Scare You to Sleep to make this really incredible episode all about October 32nd. Enjoy, and happy World Audio Drama Day. Warning. The Foundation database is classified. Unauthorized access will result in detainment. Within this archive, you'll find the procedures, descriptions, and accounts of the most notorious anomalies we've encountered to date. Secure. Contain. Protect. Item number, SCP-6439. Object Class, Keter. Special Containment Procedures. SCP-6439 is to be considered an info-hazard. Evidence of its existence should be sought out and quarantined with amnestics administered if necessary. In addition, to continue the effective containment of SCP-6439-1, Foundation assets should work to encourage the traditions associated with Halloween and counter attempts to eliminate or substantially change them. Description SCP-6439 is a temporal anomaly taking the form of an extra 24-hour period per calendar year, which can only be perceived in specific circumstances and through specific methods. The amnestic effect created by SCP-6439-1 means its existence is unknown to all but a very small number of people who have encountered evidence of it. This evidence is extremely rare, and all of it is believed to be in Foundation hands, though other instances of SCP-6439 being perceptible are being actively sought out. Primary evidence for SCP-6439 comes in three sources. The first is evidence given by a CIA technical analyst, Gavin McRae, to the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence concerning a Chinese satellite and its anomalous data. The second is marginalia in a medieval Irish manuscript, The Book of the Days of Leinster, describing events supposed to have taken place in the 19th century CE. The third is a recording of a radio broadcast received by high-orbit American spy satellites to which the Foundation has covert access. It is a commercial broadcast from WAEK, The Wake, a local radio station in Kentucky, 
specifically the show Midnight to Morning with DJ Abby. The show was evidently broadcast during the non-existent period between October 31st and November 31st. That was George Michael with Careless Whisper bringing us into this October 32nd with the sexiest sax in music. I'm Abby, here to keep my shift workers and midnight lurkers company from the turn of the calendar up to the early hours. Call in to request a song, anything you like, as long as it's classic and cool. Or just tell me what's on your mind. As those costume parties are winding down and the trick-or-treaters finally come down off their sugar buzz... We'll be keeping it calm and copacetic here on WAEK, The Wake. Producer Wendell has just handed me a note from our weather desk. There is an extreme weather warning for all parts of the state. Don't know whether that's tornadoes or rain and frogs. It just says extreme weather. So it's looking like a weird night, and not just because yesterday was Halloween. And speaking of my loyal colleague, Wendell, he's telling me we have a caller on the line. Hi there, you're speaking with DJ Abby. What's happening? Hi, Abby. Calvin here. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. Listen, it's kind of crazy out here. I was wondering if your listeners have ever seen anything like what's going down here. Sure thing, Calvin. Speak to me. I'm down at the Primo Pens Bowling Alley near, uh, West Creek. Just, y- you know, hanging out. There are a bunch of people here. Well, I say people. But they're more like... Shadows. Shadows? Yeah, I thought of maybe it was a bunch of goof-offs wearing all black bodysuits for Halloween. But they got closer, and I could, like, kind of see through them. They were coming out of the darkness past the parking lot lights. I was with my buddy. We were smoking, you know. (laughs) And he said, look at these goobers. I'm gonna go mess with them. But now, I can't see them. And these shadow people are all around the car. Sounds far out. Maybe you ought to drive out of there. (laughs) My buddy's got the keys. Hey, hey, he's here. Hey, Kyle. Kyle. My dude! Let's split! Ugh, he's not hearing me. Looks like they're carrying him. Whoa! Kyle! Get out of there! Aw, jeez, now he's going see-through too! The shadow people have these glowing eyes and, and there are way more of them. They're getting close. Hey, Kyle! You still got that piece in the glove compartment? Sorry, Abby. I gotta go. Sounds like Calvin has his hands full there. Maybe all you out there in Radioland should steer clear of primo pins for a while. Time for a track to keep our minds off these interesting times. Stick around, I'll be right here with you till the small hours start getting big. The following is the partial transcript of an evidentiary session of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence held in secret to receive the testimony of CIA technical analyst Gavin McRae. Senator Darlene Sanchez is conducting the session. The proceedings are classified, but the Foundation acquired the transcript through our assets in the legislative branch. Analyst McRae, please explain the context for the meeting you brought to our attention. It's all kind of off the record. 
None of this is official CIA policy or anything. You won't get into trouble for coloring outside the lines, Analyst McCrae. We don't go squealing to the teacher. All we care about is the truth. Sometimes an issue comes up which could lead to both sides spending a lot of money or even kicking off an international investigation, which could be resolved if we just talk to each other. So that's what happened here. My opposite number in the Science and Technology Directorate of the Ministry of State Security is a guy named Liu Kanong. He found out we were talking a lot about the communications satellite one of their shell companies launched three years ago. How did this Kinong find out what the CIA was talking about? They spy on us as much as we spy on them. They're monitoring chatter, maybe they have agents inside. The same thing we do. It's not really my department. I see. Continue. Kanong asked to meet me at the airport in Kuala Lumpur. He had my travel itinerary too, by the way. But it was a public place, so it was probably safe. Just an unofficial chat over coffee, you know. So I met him there. Nice guy, I guess. His English wasn't great, but it was better than my Mandarin. Together we got by. We had to look up some of the technical stuff. The CIA was worried one of the Chinese satellites was for spying. It wasn't in Earth's orbit, at least nowhere we could see, but we knew they were getting data from it. So we wondered what it was. We were getting jumpy that the Chinese had stolen a march on us, getting ahead in the new secret space race. Kanong said we got it all wrong. Do you have reason to trust this Kanong? No more or less than he had to trust me. It's a reciprocal thing, Senator. We can't function without at least some communication with the other side. We're trying to put one over each other, sure, but neither of us has an interest in starting a conflict over nothing that's going to cost money and lives. Simple answer? I don't have much reason, to be honest. Only his word. I'm just telling you what he told me. Something of a gentleman's agreement, then. Please, continue. Kenong said there was a satellite, but it wasn't spying on anything. It was a test. They wanted to know if they could hide something, like a space station, on the far side of the sun orbiting opposite to the Earth. They figured it would be impossible to see it from Earth, so they could hide whatever they wanted there. The satellite they sent up was designed to prove if that was true. They flew it to the other side of the sun, and it was supposed to sit there broadcasting test signals. If the Chinese could pick them up, or if anyone else on Earth did, they'd know the idea was a no-go. The thing is, after about six months, the Chinese were able to detect the satellite, and we were too. So the test failed. Or worked, depending on your point of view. What did the CIA believe they had detected? Like I said, we thought it was a spy satellite. We didn't know what it was supposed to be spying on from way out there, but we didn't like it. The tension started rising, we were trying to crack codes and get people inside the Chinese operation to find out. Then the Chinese reacted and started hunting down moles and tightening security. Everyone's getting more paranoid, convinced something big's about to happen. It's only so long before someone does something stupid. That's what Kanong was trying to defuse. I see, and this idea the Chinese had of hiding something behind the sun. It didn't work because it could be detected from Earth? That was 
inconclusive. The satellite kept going off course. Kinong didn't understand it. told me. He assumed it was just a malfunction, but then they noticed the satellite's atomic clock was exactly one day off compared to the one they synced it to on Earth. And, yes, they checked if it was a leap year. They went through the programming, didn't find any bugs, recoded the whole thing and tried again. The same thing happened. The satellite went off course, the Chinese saw it, we saw it. Suddenly the CIA director is being briefed on this new Chinese secret weapon again. The Chinese try to fix it, can't find what's wrong, and try a third time. Same thing. Exactly 24 hours out of whack. So eventually, they gave up and recalled the satellite. Kanong said it burned up on re-entry, like they'd planned. Did Kinong believe it was a malfunction? Of course. So did I. It's the only explanation. Either there's a bug in the programming, or there's an extra day in the year no one knows about. <laughs> and how would this extra day get there? Excuse me? If there was an extra day we don't experience on Earth, but the rest of the universe does, meaning this satellite was programmed for 365 days instead of 366. How might that occur? I'm not sure I follow you. Time is time. You can't change it. You'll forgive my high school physics, but time can change. Can it not? With a large enough gravity source? A black hole? That kind of thing? Sure. But the biggest thing nearby is the sun, and it doesn't distort space-time that much. If there was a black hole anywhere near us, we'd know about it. Or rather, we wouldn't know anything because we'd be sucked into it pretty fast. So what could the explanation be? Senator, please excuse me, but are you genuinely suggesting our perception of the length of a year is wrong? I am privy to information that even a CIA analyst is not. What seems ridiculous to you is very pertinent to us. Humor me. What could make that happen? I don't know. Aliens? Magic? I see. Thank you, Analyst McRae. Your evidence has been very enlightening. That was Dexie's Midnight Runners with Come On Eileen, and she'd better get on moving because it is weird out there tonight. The network is sending warnings of blackouts across the state, extreme winds, hail the size of grapefruits, and a whole bunch of gosh darn forest fires out of control. Plus, there are riots in Louisville and Lexington. It is the perfect night to stay inside with me and wait out the crazy with some classic tunes. Producer Wendell says we have a caller on the line. Tina, what's on your mind? Hi, Abby. I'm calling from Owensboro. I work at the hospital here. We've all had to evacuate and we're hiding out in the high school nearby in the gym. Sounds like something heavy is going down there, Tina. Oh boy, you have no idea. Just after midnight, the security guy said there was a disturbance in the basement. And the next thing I know, there are naked people walking around. Naked people, from the morgue. Dead folks that just got up off the autopsy table and out of the cold lockers. It was the darndest thing I ever saw. They had those autopsy incisions. Some of them were from car wrecks or whatever and had bits missing. They were moaning and running about the place. Of course, we all hightailed it out of there. I heard some of the dead folks were conducting operations on the ones who weren't fast enough to run for it. All kinds of crazy things you hear. Some people saying it's Judgment Day, or it's a weird virus from space, or aliens. I gotta say, Abby, I, I don't know what to think. 
As a man once said, Tina, when you're going through hell, keep going. Hunker down and ride it out. Well, I don't know if we're even safe in here. Uh, one man, he started screaming that there were monsters eating his brain. And suddenly he's crawling up the walls along the ceiling like a big old spider. And I saw some Sasquatch-looking thing in the parking lot outside and a whole lot more kind of shambling down Main Street. Now, I know it's Halloween, but this just beats all. Stay strong, Tina, baby. Remember, you're not alone. Whatever happens, we'll all see it through together. I gotta say, you're real calm about all this craziness going on. The way I figure it, what happens, happens. And fretting about it all isn't going to make it go away. The only thing I care about is that I don't face it alone. And I don't have to. I'm here with our callers, all our listeners, producer Wendell, and all the good folks following us from midnight to morn. As long as I got that, there's no better place to ride out the storm than right here with some good tunes and good company. Now, that's a fine philosophy, Abby, but it's kind of difficult to chill out when there's people crawling around on the ceiling and giant bats flying around. Did I mention the bats? I think they're bats anyway. They look the size of airliners from down here. Oh, I gotta go. The cops are saying that we all have to barricade the doors. Stay safe, Tina. Same to all you out there. Meanwhile, it's raining blood, and in case you think I'm about to spin some slayer, I mean actual blood, it's coming down in sheets outside the studio window. We got glowing symbols in the sky, looks like some kind of Latin writing. I can see the power going out in some parts of town, so we'll broadcast just as long as we can. Right now, we have a request on the phones. Talk to me, Kevin. Glad I got through, Abby. Uh, the phones are real messed up, so... Uh... I always wanted to request a song, and it looks like I might not get another chance. Uh, my mom, she died maybe three years ago. Sorry to hear that, Kevin. Well, she's outside my kitchen window right now. She's all blotchy and has these long claws, but it's definitely her. She's howling and trying to bust in. Got some of the bridge club with her. I don't know how long the double glazing can hold out, so I said to myself, it's pick up the phone now or maybe never. Glad to be here for you, Kevin, and I hope your mom just wants to catch up. What song do you want to request? Well, given what's going on, there's only really one song that would be appropriate. I'm way ahead of you, buddy. For Kevin and his late mom, here's R.E.M. The following is the translation commentary of writing found in the margins of... The Book of the Days of Lannister, a manuscript held in Trinity College Library in Dublin. The book dates from the 10th century, and is a chronicle of Irish kings and significant events from the mid-9th century. The translation and notes are by Professor Sean Dolan. This document came to the Foundation's attention as potential evidence of a historical anomaly, and was retrieved following a data search regarding temporal anomalies and eschatological scenarios. The text consists of three passages of marginalia on two pages of the manuscript, in a notably less sophisticated hand than the main text. The Middle Irish used is highly colloquial and includes abbreviations and elisions, rendering many challenges in translation. Apart from this, there are no significant lacunas in the text. Uh, the passage begins with a statement uh, by the unnamed writer explaining the original copies of the tale had been lost and the writer wrote it down from memory to ensure it would not pass from memory and be forgotten. 
The book of the days of Leinster was used as a matter of convenience, and because the writer expected such a large and expensive book to be preserved. And the story itself dates from the early 9th century and uh, concerns a king of Leinster named Bran Macdon Chara. This individual's not mentioned in other sources, though he may be any one of several contemporary kings in the region who used various names and honorifics. Bran was journeying north out of Leinster with a force of Irishmen and Vikings to defend his borders. The writer neglects to describe his opposition or the numbers of his army. The writer here gives a date which, according to the modern calendar, equates to October 32nd and is presumably an error. On this day, as Bran led his army across the border, it was confronted by what the text describes as a demon. The writer is vague on its appearance. It was of great size and had the bodies of many men, though the exact meaning of this is not clear. It is described as descending perhaps literally from the sky, or metaphorically, as a predator descends on its prey. Bran's army scattered at the sight. Some men were struck down, though again the text is ambiguous on whether this meant killed or rendered unconscious. Others went mad or fled. The writer states the demon's face was perceived by some men as that of a hideous monster, and by others as that of a family member, animal, or religious figure. King Bran was not among those who fled or were incapacitated. In the demon's face, he saw an image of himself, weak and bound in ropes. But Bran was not afraid. The writer alludes to Bran's widely acknowledged valor and his many deeds in war, though does not name them. Bran and the demon then engaged in a discussion. The writer describes them speaking of the state of the world and whether the demon should destroy it or not. Bran maintained the world was a fine place and full of brave men and fair women and all the glories of nature. The demon, however, was not convinced and determined to destroy it and everyone in it. Bran, however, was cunning and wise, as well as very brave, and proposed a deal to the demon. If he saw to it that a festival was held in the demon's honor, he asked the demon spare the world and undo the terror it had already wrought. The demon thought upon this and decided it would return in exactly one year. If the festival was to his liking, the demon would hold off destroying the world and cause all that happened on that day to be undone, so the horror of its appearance would not scar the minds of all who witnessed it. Thus the deal was struck, and King Bran returned home. He bade all the people of his own kingdom, and called upon all his allies elsewhere, to have a festival to please the demon. As the demon was a thing of fear, the festival was to celebrate fear. All things grotesque and terrifying would be sung of and paraded, and for a day it would be as if the beautiful and the ugly had changed places. The next year, when the demon arose with much madness and destruction, it was pleased by the festival, and did as it had bargained, turning back the day and sparing the world. King Bran lamented he would never see the result of his cunning, nor would any other witness it, for the memory itself of the day was undone. The only solace he had was when the next day dawned. For if the festival of fear did not happen, or if it was found wanton, the sun would never have risen again. Bran and his scholars write of the day he encountered the demon and the deal the two had made. However, copies of these writings were lost, prompting the unnamed writer of the Marginalia to note down all they remembered of the tale. 
This perhaps explains the lack of any mention of the tale elsewhere in the extant literature. Similarly, a creature a myth resembling the demon is not recorded anywhere, suggesting the tale is either one peculiar to the Leinster region, or was an invention of the unnamed writer. Seeing us through to the small hours, this is DJ Abby. And this might really be the end, my beautiful friends. We've had calls from folks seeing the dead walk, monsters among us, the seas boiling and the earth aflame. Through the rain of blood outside the studio, <laughs> I can see the ground heaving up and rivers of lava flowing across our blue grass state. Most of the phone lines are down, but producer Wendell said someone's got through. Caller, you're on the air. Abby! Oh, thank God you're there, Abby. My name's Dawn, long-time listener. I'm down in Louisville, and half of West End just fell into this big pit. I know plenty of folks who would call that an improvement. I didn't much love it neither, but now there's just this big fiery hole like a lake of flame with all these things leaping around in it. People are lining up to jump in. Plus, half of everyone I can see are covered in these red boils. And there are bugs like big, fat grasshoppers everywhere. Swarms of them. Locusts, maybe? Well, they ain't ladybugs. We were having our office Halloween party when it all started, and now I'm stuck in accounting, dressed like Chewbacca, watching the damn world end. Excuse my language, but it's just been crazy. Oh, boy. The Omni just fell down. Hey, stop making out on my desk. You can't do that just because the world's ending. Thanks for calling in, Don. I gotta cut you off because something's coming down out of the sky. It's like a mountain upside down, made of bodies, arms and legs all tangled up, all writhing like worms. The sky around it's opening up like a sinkhole. The ground is warping around it. I can, I can feel its thoughts battering against my skull. I think this is it, people. The last trumpet is sounding. The last disc is spun. Whoever's still listening, I'm glad I could spend the last moments on the air with you. It's turning towards me. Its face. A void. Emptiness. Producer Wendell says it's got the same face as his father. But I just see an endless nothing. We're getting some interference here. I'll stay on the line as long as I can. Stay strong out there, people. Do not go quietly. I have seen. I hunger and 
The story of King Bronn is roughly contemporary with the first mentions of Samhain, the pagan festival that took place from the 31st of October to the 1st of November. Samhain is believed to have been later combined with Christian traditions to become All Hallows' Eve, and then the modern Halloween. The entity encountered by King Bronn, and that may still manifest on Earth on the 32nd of October every year, is designated as SCP-6439-1. Its containment is likely beyond the capacity of the Foundation, and so containment efforts should instead be aimed at ensuring the tradition of Halloween continues. Research into SCP-6439, and the means by which the missing time can be perceived, continues. It is apparent the reality of racing effect does not extend to the whole universe, but only to Earth, and that the 24 hours of missing time can be detected at a sufficient distance from Earth. The Foundation is to liaise with friendly space agencies to generate reliable ways of achieving this. The exact nature of SCP-6439-1 is not known. Studying it can likely only be achieved on the 32nd of October, with the data generated being archived in a form that can survive the rewinding of the day. Foundation Applied Metaphysics staff are working on a means of doing this. Until this is achieved, SCP-6439 is to remain an info hazard, and placating SCP-6439-1 is to remain the primary means of containment. That was George Michael with Careless Whisper, bringing us into this November 1st with the sexiest sax in music. The Halloween parties are at the hanging out in the kitchen stage, and the costumes have all fallen apart. This is DJ Abby keeping you company until it's time to throw out the pumpkins and bring in those plastic skeletons from the yard. As always, we're playing anything you want, as long as it's old and good. You know, Halloween got me thinking about what it is that scares me. Not gonna say I wouldn't run if a skeleton or a mummy or a vampire jumped out of the shadows at me, but you know what really frightens me? It's being without you guys. Or without producer Wendell. Or anyone. It's being on my own, facing the world with no one by my side. That's why I love keeping you Nighthawks and Music Dorks company every night. It means none of us are alone out there. We have each other. Even if I'm just a voice coming from your car radio. That's a connection. It's connections that keep us safe. Don't worry, folks. I'm not going to get too philosophical on you. Abby's going to keep the tune spinning just like always. This one's a track that felt appropriate for some reason. For everyone in this strange family of late night listeners, here's R.E.M. This week's episode was made possible thanks to our patrons. Joining us this week was... Tina P, Donut Trapper, Jamie B, Misty Coates, Carson Klosterman, Sam Lee, and Samantha Parker. Thanks guys, your support means the world and it helps us do what we do. SCP-6439 was written by Ben Counter and edited by Lieutenant Flops. Our narrator was Pacific S. Obadiah. DJ Abby was special guest star Shelby Scott. Calvin was Alvin Bowling II. Senator was Risa M. McCray was Brandon Nguyen. Tina was Madeline Moore. Kevin was Russ Moore. 
Dolan was Graham Rowitz. Don was Eric Kemp. And Demon was Karim Cronfley. Our assistant editors are Danny Sweet, Jesse Hall, and Hannah McKinley. Our community manager is Celeste Cassion. And this week's transcript was done by Janine Bauer. All of our music is done by the incredible Tom Rory Parsons. And I'm your showrunner and sound designer, Pacific Ass Obadiah. Our producers are Tom Owen and Brad Miska. And this is a bloody disgusting podcast. <laughs>